mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello. Welcome to Telling Everybody Everything. It is the afternoon of Sunday, May 30th, and I have already made a grave error. I made a conscious choice not to eat too much salt today because I have a photo shoot tomorrow. It's a very important photo shoot and it's very expensive because it is a reshoot of a previous photo shoot, meaning I'm orchestrating it myself and paying for it my fucking self, which I'm happy to do, but I wasn't supposed to eat too much salt because I'm retaining water like one of these damn walls. You know the kind. Solid material built across a river valley or catchment to block the flow of the river. Like one of them. And then I've just eaten an entire packet of dill pickle crisps from Mr. Singh's Canadian Things. Or maybe it's called Super Singh's Canadian Things. Look, don't order from him. Just give him some time. Every time I mention him, he is inundated with requests. Uh, Super Singh, we really love you, but like stretch out your orders because he, I think most businesses want you to promote them. He's a family business. He's grateful, but he's also like, Catherine... Every time you mention me, you have so many Canadian people in the UK and they hear about the smart food and they hear about the A&W root beer and the fucking salsa and all the delicious ginger ale he has. And then he's going to spend the week just back packaging it all up for us. So just um, one of you a day. Take turns. Organize it amongst yourselves. So I'm doing the photo shoot tomorrow and my face has fluctuated loads. And now tomorrow I know it's going to be a weird size, but oh, well, we move. What's in the news this week? Boris Johnson, one of the biggest hunks of the land, current prime minister. He got married yesterday in a secret ceremony. Ah, so cool because so many people have been wanting to get married for so long. And it's nice to see Boris getting to do that. Um, He is married to a lady called Carrie, who seems cool, I have to say. A lot of people think she looks like me. That's not why I like her. I think she has made some cool career moves, political moves in her life. I judge them separately. I've known lots of cool chicks to have shit husbands. And I like all of Boris Johnson's former wives. I like his current wife. If you look at them on paper, I have to say he marries well. He marries educated women. He marries women who seem to be very good mothers. Uh, he marries really cool, and a lot of them are his age, not this one, but a lot of them were his age when he was younger, <laughs> and Carrie seems great. She follows me on Twitter. She follows Rasheen Kennedy too, so I mean, that could cause a fight in the marriage if I don't think he likes me. I don't think his dad likes me, but she does. Let me tell you about Boris Johnson's wives. Boris Johnson's first wife was born in 1964, and she's called Marina. Do you remember the band Marina and the Diamonds? They were great. How did that go? All I remember is, nice to meet you, I'm Marina. It's a good song, anyway. 
Um, she is a barrister who specializes in public law, including human rights, and she's a member of the Bar Disciplinary Tribunal, who was appointed to the Queen's Council. She has four children of his. Oh, wait, that's not his first wife. They were married in 1993. Okay, so his first wife is called Allegra. They were Oxford University sweethearts, and then they married out of college, and she's super posh. She has a double-barreled last name, and neither of those names include his name. You see where I'm from. If you have a double-barreled last name, it just means your parents are divorced, or you were born when your parents weren't married. I mean, that even that is rare to have like both names. Usually they would just give you your dad's name. But in this country, if you have a double-barreled last name, it usually means that your mother was something of nobility and your father was something of nobility. And you didn't want to lose either of those like lineage cues. So you would keep both names. Allegra was a cover girl for Tatler. She was apparently like really cool, vivacious at university, really popular, blonde and ethereal. Um, Tatler magazine says that quality made her seem untouchable to the rest, which is precisely what Boris would have wanted as a trophy. Oh, yikes. Allegra would reportedly later consider the date of her wedding to Boris as the end of their relationship rather than the beginning. Look, I can't tell you how common this is. A lot of people, they just reach a point where, you know, the old euphemism, what's it called? Like, you know, or get off the pot. I don't like to say that, but they're in an unhappy relationship for a number of years. And it's sort of like a save the relationship baby. They have a save the relationship wedding. They're like, well, if we do something exciting and move this thing forward, maybe it'll fix all of our problems. And if you're thinking of doing the same, do not. So Allegra has kids with Boris. I don't know how many. Oh, she's a teacher. She is a teacher of English and art to Muslim women at a mosque in East London. This is what she used to do. She's spicy too. So when journalists approach her to speak about Boris, she won't. But this one time in 2012, she held up a cover of the New Statesman with a cartoon of Boris in a cage beneath a headline, Restraining Order. And she said, you want a confirmation or a denial? I'm not going to do that either way, except that I think this is a very good cover, pointing to the magazine. And that... Ladies and gentlemen, is shade. She's very dignified considering this hideous overlap. So they married in 1987. The couple's marriage ended in divorce or annulment in 1993. And guess how many days it took for Boris Johnson to marry Marina, his next wife? 12 days. And then she had a baby with him five weeks later. Well, shit. And then he had affairs and he had some children from those and some maybe children from those and whatever. I mean, maybe people learn their lesson. What I'm saying is this has been my best man speech. Congratulations to the happy couple. I hope that everyone who wanted to get married gets to get married. Like, I don't really care if you want to have three husbands or sorry, three wives or what eight husbands like Elizabeth Taylor. Do what you want. Some people like to go all in. I think it's very expensive. I don't really care about breaking vows. Like, who are those vows to? The church. It is kind of a thing when you have a proper wedding and all the people that you love and your friends, they dress up and they get a babysitter and they come to the wedding and they travel and they buy you presents. I felt the seriousness of that. I think at my sister's wedding, she's the only one of us who had a wedding Joanne eloped. I sort of eloped. Like, we just don't bother uh, annoying people 
with that kind of fanfare, we get enough attention. But I get it. I get like in that moment when Carrie got married, everyone was stood. Everyone was very chic. Everyone had gone to a lot of effort. And I thought, oh, okay. And then this propels people maybe to think, oh, this is serious. I'll make this work. And then you have hopefully family members in a community who help you make that marriage a success. But if you don't have those things and you just want to get married for fun in Reno, go ahead. And if you want to be someone's third wife, go ahead. And if you want to stay married for two years all the time, what do I care? I mean, my husband has had two wives. My dad has had two wives. Do I like Boris Johnson? No. Do I like the women he's married? Yeah. And his mistresses probably ain't half bad either. So I was blessed enough to be able to put on a live podcast on May 27th, uh, that was Thursday of this past week at the Kentish Town O2 Forum. They have loads of podcasts going on there. They're so much fun. You can go in the afternoon to see a podcast. Those are really popular and they can fill the venue to half capacity. So we had about 500 people and I'm so grateful that they came. It was so nice to do sort of a gig. It was kind of like a stand-up gig, though it was sat down and it was a podcast and I'd never done that before in my life. So it was really cool. People were super drunk, I think. Mary, we shall call them. Mary. And they were drinking cocktails out of bags. I guess it was the government's way of repurposing all the medical supplies from dodgy pandemic contracts that they gave to their unqualified friends. I don't know. We're drinking cocktails from bags now. You don't go to the bar. You order from an app on your phone. Apparently it's safer. These are leftover IV bags, and if you really suck hard, you can taste the hospital. No, I mean, (laughs) it's not that. They're like party bags. Someone in the audience said, it's like an adult birthday party, and we all get party bags filled with canned Prosecco and whatever you have to do to have the fun. People were pretty chatty. People were getting involved, shouting out, really hooting, hollering, screaming. Look, I love women. I love everyone. But when women have white wine... And they haven't been out because of lockdown. They uh, they can be the worst comedy audiences. This was fine. This was under control. It was manageable. But I think I'd been away from it so long that I was like taken aback. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Groups of women drunk on white wine. Overall, though, it was a great reception. Everyone was so, so nice. I love the podcasting community. I think I'm glad that I'm in it now. Everyone is the best. And I can't use the audio from it. I cannot use that raw audio. There are some clips on my social media, but there was too much screaming and too much talking. And my parents were patched in. Carrie and Joanne were patched in via Zoom and FaceTime. And there was just a lot going on. Violet was a live guest. She answered emails so beautifully. Bobby was there talking about crypto. It was such a night. And because I was going to be on stage, I kind of didn't have a choice anymore. I suppose my pregnancy was revealed. And it's not something that I was hiding. It's just that there weren't any live shows for me to do. And when I went on television, I wasn't even trying to hide it. I just wasn't mentioning it. I was wearing bigger clothes because my old clothes didn't fit me. And then loads of people were being really mean about my face or my weight or whatever. And I mean, what could I do? I have to go to work. People who are pregnant go to work. They do shift work. They are on their feet all day until they're like 42 weeks. 
what do you want people to do? We were like, oh, Catherine did a real shit job hiding her pregnancy. I was going to work. <laughs> I just didn't want to talk about it um, for a variety of reasons. Oh, and by the way, you are not supposed to say I knew it. This is the biggest comment. And I know that people mean well, but even friends of mine, like anyone, I knew it. That's what everyone says when they see me in person. Oh my God, I knew it all along. Really? How did you use your genius to piece it all together? What clues were there? I have not stopped working. Who the fuck is this? It was Carrie. She says hello. But anyway, I knew it is rude. And I thought we learned that back when Philip Schofield came out on this morning. When someone chooses to reveal something personal about themselves, you go, oh, okay, great. Thanks for sharing. Like when a teenage girl introduces her girlfriend for the first time at a family dinner, you act as your sensitive, regular self. You be welcoming. You don't say, I called it Charles. I told you. And then you wheel out a pre-baked rainbow cake. The number one reason why I didn't talk about it is because it's not relevant on panel shows. Like most of my body is usually under a desk and it's not like hilarious and it's not news. Like babies are born every day and we hope that that is the outcome from this. But I've had some terrible things happen this year and that is what made my face big. And I had the audacity to continue appearing on TV that way instead of hiding myself because that's not what people do. We move. And then people started speculating quite vocally online about what surgery I might have had done. And loads of people were calling me fat. And it was interesting. I did a podcast episode about this and about the importance of the body positive and fat positivity movement. And I back it 100%. And having experienced some of that very specific vitriol was eye-opening. Of course, I believed their experiences. I didn't need to experience them for myself. But it is a whole different sting, like it packs an extra punch. And I've made jokes about thin women before, just like about duchesses being like, is there not a Kit Kat in the palace? What's going on? Or talking about Cheryl Cole being tiny. And I mean, I mean those things as jokes. And then sometimes thinner women will say, oh, well, it's the same. You know, you can't discriminate against skinny girls either. It's exactly just as bad. It is not exactly just as bad because society is designed to accommodate and celebrate you for being smaller. And society has learned to exclude people for being bigger. I just didn't want to correct people. I thought I want to see who, who you are because the same people who are throwing all this abuse at me online, they're the same people now who are like, Oh, congratulations, bye. Be like, go just like, no, show your ass. Like, I want to see you be an asshole if that's who you are. I'd rather be stabbed in the front. Secondly, I was very conscious of not hurting people's feelings because unlike Scott Disick, I hang around a lot of like-minded women my own age. And I know that a lot of us have experienced and continue to experience loss. I know a lot of you have reached out to me through this podcast because of my very first episode a while ago about pregnancy loss. And nobody wants to trigger bad vibes. But I do feel like throughout the last year when my own friends have shared their, both their losses with me and their good news afterwards, it helped me feel very positive and hopeful about the future. So, you know, without banging on about it for ages or like 
doing too many posts about it or rubbing it in anyone's face. I hope that it spreads more positivity than those like negative feelings. And then the biggest reason why I didn't say anything, truly, and I cannot stress this enough, I have never given a fuck. I just, I don't feel the need to justify my position, my existence, my body, or my appearance to anyone ever. Like, you think my nose is fake? Great. You think I'm too hard on men? Fine. You think I ruined my face with Botox? Perfect. Like, I don't care. I really don't. And so I never felt like I needed to defend myself and be like, please be nice. I've had a hard time. I'm pregnant. Like, I really don't care. And I can't stress this enough. What people think of you is none of your business. Keep your head up. Live your life. Be a good person. And pursue your own authentic truth. As long as you're being kind, you never owe anyone justification. Never complain. Never explain. It's 2021. No, I don't know what the gender is. How dare you? And I don't know my due date. And that is the key to happiness in your pregnancy. Never under any circumstances reveal your due date to anyone. This is a little hack from me to you. How how far along aren't you? No fucking clue, Denise. End of chat. Denise can have no further questions. She can't comment on how big you are, how small you are, how you're looking for that number of weeks. Denise is instantly discombobulated by that answer. She can't compare you to her own previous experiences. She does not know what unsolicited advice to give you for your period of gestation. Denise cannot mark it in her iCal and start texting you throughout your third trimester. Baby here yet? Any sign of the baby? Got everything ready for the baby getting close? And my personal favorite, still pregnant? I know so many women who have foolishly, foolishly revealed their due dates. And when that day draws near, every single person they know is just like, like every time you put something in the car, they're like, is today the big day? Fuck off, Denise. Eat shit. Tell you what, if ultimately a baby is born, it will be added to the census. And that's how you'll know. And you'll see me drunk somewhere. Meghan Markle wouldn't even tell Oprah her due date. And I was saying this at the live podcast. I spotted it. Then I was like, what a genius. Because, uh, you know, Oprah was like, oh, wow, you're pregnant. When when are you due? And Meghan's smart. So she just goes, mm, summertime. And that means end of chat. She's not having any paps camping out at Mount Cedar sinai Hospital in LA. They're going to have to guess. If they really want to chase her around, they're going to have to book curbside, you know, photo tents for the full summer. The full summer, they can't do that. So take that hack from the two main duchesses hated in the UK and use it for yourself and your own life. Overall, though, Thank you for being so nice this entire time from the first podcast until this like, I guess, reveal that's not a reveal, just this eventuality. Um, Thank you for all your nice messages. Everybody's been so, so kind. So thank you for that. Other things that have been going on in the news. I was sickened to see that there is a new Ted Bundy film being released Uh, I know you're like the last one was just 2019. Do we need another one? And how did they have time to make it in a pandemic? They will always find the time to make a new film 
glorifying the actions of Ted Bundy, an American serial killer and rapist who murdered at least 30 women. This is 30 women that he was happy to um, confess to having murdered, but there were definitely more. I mean, everyone speculates that there are more and it was more difficult to find physical evidence and to catch people back then. Plus, if I do say so myself, the cops were stupid. And he is regarded as some delicate genius. Oh, he was so handsome. He was so charming and eloquent and elusive and brave. And he he was outsmarting everyone. He was outsmarting people who are not smart. And I don't want to see another movie about him. This one is set to star 90s heartthrob Chad Michael Murray of One Tree Hill. Put a photo of that sexy man next to Ted Bundy. The, Ted Bundy was gross. And he has been played in the past by Zac Efron, uh, James Marsters, some guy called Carrie, Mark Harmon, and Billy Campbell. No, no, no. Just because he didn't look like maybe the boogeyman. Oh, by the way, I think this is what this new film is called, American Boogeyman. I don't know. I won't be watching it. You guys know that I took a hiatus from watching documentaries and films about men who murder women a long time ago. Am I happy with men who murder men? No. Equally, there have been too many films about Jeffrey Dahmer, who murdered men and boys and was an absolute psycho. And I just hate it so much. And I was talking to my mom about this. She's like, well, what's the big deal about Ted Bundy? There are so many other killers. I think my mom's issue with the whole thing is she wants to see films about some up and coming murderers as well. No, it. she was a teenage girl at that time. And it was a very scary time to be a woman and just know that these people were out there. They're out there now, though. And luckily, we have more forensic evidence. We have things. But yeah, what, I mean, why is there a Jack the Ripper tour? How is that a London attraction? Just go down the road, is my mom's point, And a woman probably will have been murdered last week. And I don't want to see these films anymore. I don't know why we're making these films. I don't know why we have a new series of you coming out on Netflix soon, though it is compelling. You want to get in the mind of these people so that you can prevent, you think you can prevent the same happening to you. It gets your adrenaline going. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, okay, if I could just figure out how he ticks, like why he would prey on these really kind women too. If you don't know who this loser was, Ted Bundy, he would pretend to be injured and ask these women for help. And then when the nicest women would give him help, he would capture them and like, he's the worst. And it doesn't belong in Hollywood. And it will never, ever stop until it stops being lucrative first. It's financially viable. People want to see these shows. So the only way that you can stop it is by not watching it. That's it. You can't, you know, they don't care about your demonstrations or your crowdfunding or your signatures, your petitions. They don't care about my podcast. Anyone telling them it's wrong, the long and short of it is cash, viewership, subscription. You know, if you don't want to see these things, don't watch them. We know how it ends. Write me an email. I'll tell you how it always ends. It's been a good week for men, older men. And, I, you know, I have felt a certain softness for men lately, you know this, mostly from some work that I've been doing lately, working with lots of 
younger. Oh, I sound like a philanthropist. I haven't been like working with young men. I've been filming with some young men, which is, oh no, that's the opposite side of the coin. Look, I've been working with 20 something year old boys and I think they're adorable and I think the culture is shifting. But in golf, a 51 year old man, Phil Mickelson, who never quits, he was participating in a major competition and he won it. And he was the oldest one to ever win it. And this was transformative for people like my dad. Uh, my dad was kind of disappointed because he didn't want that guy to win. There were Irish people involved, younger Irish people. He wanted them to win. But Finbar's nationalism aside, when he gets over Padraig losing, he is going to feel emboldened by Phil Mickelson taking it to the top. And I love that for 51-year-old men everywhere. Maybe your husband is golfing now and he's 40 and he thinks, oh, it's too late. I really think that this is the boost 50-something men needed that will stop them gravitating towards secretaries, buying sports cars, you know, whatever some of the, whatever that behavior is, that midlife crisis behavior that we read about. I think, I think this is a positive step. It is their version of Naomi Campbell becoming a mother at 50. We are going to hear some words from the sponsor of Telling Everybody Everything in a Minute. This is just a friendly reminder that you can pre-order my book, The Audacity. You can also get tickets for my tour. Oh, God, don't even get me started. I've received questions to say, Catherine, will you be canceling your tour now that you're having a baby? No, I will not be canceling my tour. No one asks the boys if they're canceling their tours. I cannot believe it. I cannot even believe that the same people who would buy tickets to my tour and the people who believe that when women have babies, they don't work anymore. Like the fact that there's any crossover in that Venn diagram dazzles me. But no, the tour is on. It is a European and UK and a little bit American tour. It starts in September and I mean, hopefully we can travel. You can come to Oslo. You can come to Amsterdam. You can come to Paris or Crawley or like Milton Keynes or Edinburgh. I'm just check it out. My tour is called Mrs. It's brand new. And after these words, I'll get your emails. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, I love when you write me emails. If you would like to do that, the address is telling everybody everything at gmail.com. They are always illuminating, always challenging, eye-opening. Here's one that's controversial. It is titled Liposuction. Catherine, as the font of all knowledge when it comes to beauty, I wondered if you could recommend anywhere UK-based to help me with my fat arse. Uh, first of all, what are you talking about? Are you trying to get more fat into your arse? Because if you're trying to have less of a fat arse, you're not on trend. I think the fat arse is right now. Like, speak to people. A fat arse is a beautiful arse. I have an amazing esthetician who does my fillers, but I can't seem to pin down a good option for lipo and possibly even a tummy tuck. 
Damn babies have destroyed my body. Love the show, listening to the whole back catalog now, and it often makes me roar with laughter. Also, you really opened my eyes to things like systemic racism and privilege, which I hadn't considered and wouldn't consider myself racist, but it has made me realize the position I and my family are in, and it's made me think more carefully about how I act. So thanks. I mean, yeah, that's what we're all trying to do, isn't it? Just like behave better. I remember when I used to say uh, strong, powerful, beautiful black woman because I admired Beyonce and I admired a lot of black women whom I really wanted to be like when I was a child. I didn't want to be like Christina Aguilera. Like I wanted to be like Beyonce and I wanted to be like some of the black comedians that I watched because our town was so close to Detroit. And then I said it in my special and it was linked to this Beyonce joke at the Apollo and there are black women in my life who were like, why did you say that? Why did you say strong, powerful, beautiful black women? I went, oh, I really had to think about it and learn through like discussion that it fetishizes their strength to say that and denies them care and vulnerability. And I will repeat this as often as I can because I was overjoyed to learn that lesson. I And I had to make a mistake and offend people to learn that lesson. I'm really sorry that I did. So, I mean... We're always learning. Don't feel bad. I'm still learning a lot. Liposuction, here's where like my wokeness is going to come crashing right down. I've never had liposuction and I don't know of anyone in England who's had great liposuction. I have to say, I sometimes feel like I've seen friends get it. They wear this slimming garment And it isn't for weight loss, by the way. You will not lose weight getting liposuction. It's just for sculpting and like moving things around kind of. It doesn't seem to have a very good effect. Tummy tuck, great result because it's just a fact that sometimes there's skin that is not repairable. And I don't look at that as plastic surgery. I look at that in in extreme cases as just putting your body back to a place that you can be comfortable and fit into your clothes without this skin that can't be gotten rid of otherwise and you can exercise again you just feel good whatever you want to do I've seen great results from tummy tucks I can't think of any UK doctors though because I usually see that on TV however I'm very interested in this amazing liposuction doctor who is abroad and I've never been to him but he's called Dr. Serbulent and he's on Instagram and I know he's done a few famous people few that I know, uh, a few that I don't know. He seems to do an excellent job. Now you hear me say Istanbul and you go, what? Because there have been news reports of English women, British women who've gone over there and, you know, the fat is put in too deep. There is a real threat of a pulmonary embolism. If fat gets into your bloodstream, it can block your lung and you're dead. That has not happened with Dr. Serbulin and I don't think... You know, you can blame a country for that, but you always have to go to someone licensed. Check him out on Instagram. I think he looks really good. And if I were going to get that, I I just love his work. But I mean, that is not anyone's decision but yours. Every time you have a general anesthetic, you're risking your life. Even just a little, little bit, you're risking your life. You say babies have ruined your body, but like you're alive and you're here to spend time with your babies and they don't care what your body looks like in a swimsuit. They just care that you got in the pool. So, you know, it's your life. And I'm sorry, I don't know any UK doctors. Whoa, I am going to paraphrase this email because it's got so many details 
that would reveal the identity of this family. But basically, it is from such a nice lady. She's a 29-year-old single mom to three amazing children. She's got little boys and a girl who is 14. She herself had the little girl when she was 14, but she had a really supportive family, grew up, you know, with financial means and even a swimming pool. So that's really cool. And she was like many teenagers, unfortunately, sexually active under the age of consent. This is something that happens. It's not limited to any demographic. It happens all throughout the UK, all throughout the world. Fine. And she thought she'd never get caught, but she got pregnant. So 29-year-old single mom now. Yep, you guessed it. Her 14-year-old daughter is also pregnant. She found this out. And this baby is due like very soon. So with all that, she's scared. She's scared. She knows the reality of being a mom at that age. She says, Catherine, I know how hard and tiring it is. I'm scared that I'm not going to know how to cope. Now I work three jobs to support my children. I know I can work at night to help look after this baby. I want my daughter to still go to school, but it does give little time left for me to still parent my other small children. Everyone's very excited. We're all being very supportive, but this is a stress. You bet it's a stress. It's kind of like you've got three kids and you're a single mom and now like you're having a baby, but it's your daughter's baby. So you're going to have to step off and let her do stuff. But ultimately the buck falls with you. I totally understand where you're coming from. Do I have any advice for you? I mean, you are the center of everyone's world right now. You are the sun. And I don't know why statistically teenage mothers have children who become teenage mothers. I know that's a popular statistic in definitely in America and Canada. And I guess probably here, Um, maybe your daughter just had a really nice life growing up with you. And I don't advocate being a teenage mom. Like if you're a teenager now and you can avoid being a mom too soon, then you probably should only because there are layers of complexity. Your brain is still growing. You're going to have to be around that man probably somehow all your life. And maybe you think that's a good thing now, but it might not necessarily be a good thing. School is hard. There are some challenges to come that are hard. I'm not saying you should be a teenage mom. You should find out who you are and have as much fun as you can and wait. But when this happens in a family, it's only ever joyful. Like babies are blessings. And obviously your daughter had a great time growing up with you as a young mom. And she's going to have a great time growing up with this baby as a young mom. And you get to kind of have another baby too. So I think just the only advice I can give is keep doing what you're doing. If you're raising these three very well, babies are not super expensive unless you want them to be. They don't actually need anything but like a boob and some muslins, as far as I know. I could be wrong. And um, I think your mental health is going to be the backbone of this entire operation I think you need to try to take some time for you, delegate tasks to the older children that you have. And definitely your daughter, she has to grow up the same way that you do and has help from you. But she's going to have to do a lot for this baby because if you fall apart, this whole family falls apart. So treat yourself. Try to get enough rest. Your children are kind of old enough to have the conversation where you go, all right, we don't all get the toys and the iPads and the things that we were going to get, but we're going to be a strong, tight-knit family and we're going to pull through this together. And crucially, 
don't buckle to any stigma from your neighborhood. Because who gives a fuck if you're a grandma under 30? I mean, I think it's pretty cool. It is what it is. And who knows how long we're going to live. And don't let anyone in your neighborhood judge you or make you feel like shit because this is just life and we move forward and we carry on and it's going to be beautiful. Here is a response to the divorce episode of the podcast. If you've not listened to that one, it's in the feed. Catherine, I'm 49 and my decree absolute came through today. I suppose that means you're officially divorced. I got married at 23. My husband was seven years older and very keen to marry before he was 30. I had just come out of a very toxic relationship before I met him, and just like your sister Joanne, my husband was an overcorrection, who proposed very quickly, and I went along. We had two beautiful children, but at the time, I knew I was with the wrong man. We both had a lot of sadness on either side, losing very close family members, and every time I thought I had the courage to leave him, I just couldn't. Time went on, and I realized that I couldn't hurt him or my children, or face the stigma of ruining my family. However, three years ago, I came so close to a complete breakdown because I'd been living a lie. I had counseling and I was even given medication, but eventually I found the courage to admit that I wasn't happy to my husband. We've been separated for two years and now we're divorced. I did it through the UK government website with no blame on either party. My ex and I are still good friends, and our grown-up children have totally accepted the situation. I'm now living independently in a small house, but I've found myself and I'm very happy. I just wanted to put it out there. It's never too late to start again, and you need to be true to yourself if you can. I really wish that I'd had the courage to do it years ago. I'm also now seeing a man who's eight years younger, but it's lovely as we live separately and date when we want. Yes, this is the email that I've been waiting for. How inspiring, how encouraging. It is fine to be on your own and have these little snacks of men eight years younger than you, if that's what you want, or to have casual relationships. Or like me, after um, I split from my daughter's father, I had a relationship that lasted a while and then it was over. And instead of feeling like a failure, well, I did for a while, but I was like, okay, well, maybe all my relationships are just going to last five years and we'll have a lovely five years and then a few months of searing pain. And then I'll meet someone else and have a lovely five years and then a few months of searing pain and then a lovely, you know, and then I thought, oh, actually, I'll just be by myself and that'll be fab as well. And I loved, loved, loved being by myself. And I wish so much, like I know you do, and I appreciate your email, that people felt more empowerment in just being alone. That's what my Glitter Room special was about. That is the root of the Duchess series is, you know, to carry around resentment can put you in a precarious position. And there's nothing wrong with being alone. It's not scary you learn to enjoy your own company if you didn't know how to do that already. And it's awesome. And you need to confront these scary things. It is so scary. I mean, we spoke about Ted Bundy earlier. You genuinely, it crosses your mind. You're like, am I ruining everyone's life? And am I going to get murdered when I leave someone? Um, But ultimately, you have a great result, a no-fault online divorce, and you guys are still friends. Oh, the dream Congratulations on your life. Congratulations on your courage. This one is titled How to Do Sex Education, and it's very timely because I just received an email from my daughter's school with the current curriculum on relationship and sex education. Is that what they call it now? Yeah, RSE. 
and I was reading through the curriculum, and honestly, I was so impressed. So I am ready to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Catherine, I'm currently on maternity leave with my second son. He's 10 months old. My oldest son is four. We love listening to the podcast. Oh, with the baby, not the four-year-old. Yes, thank you for listening. I really enjoy your advice on parenting, and I am keen to hear your opinions on and experiences of how to teach children about sex. My own parents just handed me a book to read when I was 10, and then they never discussed anything with me directly. I think this approach just drives embarrassment, and although my parents did the best they could, I think this is one area where they got it wrong. I want my children to grow up so they always know about sex, and I want them to hear it from me. I'd like them to be able to come to me for advice, and of course I want them to grow up to be considerate partners. I'd like to take the approach of answering questions as they come up in an age-appropriate manner, but I'm struggling a bit trying to work out exactly how to phrase things. Maybe I'm overthinking it. My job is actually working as a doctor in sexual health. I treat STIs. So I definitely have the right basic knowledge in this arena. I'd love to really hear how you tackle this as a parent. Oh, God. Badly. Badly. So I never really talked about sex. And I think you have to judge your kids, um, you know, receptibility to those conversations based on each child. And my daughter has always just been very, like, averse to talking about that kind of stuff. Like, she thinks she's at the age now she thinks it's totally gross. She doesn't want to hear it from me. She really doesn't. And if I tried to talk to her about it, I think that it would cause more embarrassment and cause more damage, if I'm honest. That's why I'm happy she goes to such a great school. But also, Violet has always been very switched on and very knowing. And she just knows things like just pieces things together from tv i don't know but i i definitely never sat her down and had like a serious chat about it though i think what parents maybe forget is that talking about consent doesn't have to be about sex and talking about relationships doesn't have to be about sex you can phrase all of this in terms of boundaries and self-respect and physical boundaries and friendships and how bullying feels and how coercion feels and I think those are the conversations I always had with her um and we would talk about lessons in school you know they'd say oh they're she'd say they're talking to us about the periods in school and they're talking they sent a letter home in grade four that said if you want us to not teach your child this let us know and we'll pull them out. In year four, they're like eight years old. And we had a chat in the car where I said, do you know it's really important for children your age to understand about their bodies, to understand about what's private so that they don't get exploited, so that someone can't touch them in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable or speak to them in a way that makes them feel uncomfortable and trick them by making them feel like they did something wrong so it's really empowering to have these conversations and I hope no one's pulled out of the class because taking the class will make them safe we talked a lot about safety so if I were you that's how I would phrase it with my boys and then you'll know if you need to talk about like the herp dog which is what we call in my house syphilis with a clap you know I don't think you need to be talking to your four-year-old about gonorrhea but just consent, I would start, especially if I had little boys, I would say to them, gentlemen, forget about consent, 
hold out for enthusiasm because that will keep everyone safe, um, legally safe, but also boys can be taken advantage of the same way as girls. So about autonomy and about ownership of your body, start there, I think, but like you're the doctor. That's my advice. This has been another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. Thank you so much for listening. Email me at tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. You can email me questions, but you can just also email suggestions of things you'd like to hear about on the podcast. I will follow up to some of the pregnancy loss stuff that I spoke about at the beginning of this podcast series, like 60, 70 episodes ago. Who knows? But I mean, yeah, I have more light to shed on that entire topic but let's see if this works out first shall we um thanks for your support thanks for always being in touch and your lovely kind words i hope you have a great week it's gonna be hot have a drink on the patio for me i'll see you soon Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com